Hello, and thanks for streaming this first episode of the RFP. We recently sat down with Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt to discuss his views on social media, how he makes it work for him, and more. Please enjoy. I am joined here today with Carter Campbell and Vahid Farazana, our interviewers, and then our first guest, Mayor David Holt. Mayor Holt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. What do you mean first guest? First guest on the show or first guest ever? First guest ever on our show. Wow. Yes. <laughs> so, Giddy pig or not, we, don't, yes. we certainly appreciate it, though. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. We wanted to, to be on the show. We wanted to start it with a bang. I just want to hop right in and we want to get, you know, some of the heavier, more important stuff out of the way first. And we got some lighter topics. Kind of want to do this rapid fire round. So we'll start with what's your favorite place to eat at? Oh, well, you see, uh, you know, a mayor can't really say that. I can't really answer that question. (laughs) I will say, because I've I've been fairly consistent on this the last 15 years and, um, We've always had a special place in our heart for Rococo. Okay. Uh, that was we, when my wife and I moved back from D.C. Uh, in 2004. Rococo opened almost the same month on Pennsylvania, and we and we were living down in that area, and we went there a lot. And then we moved to Quail Creek, and then Rococo opened a location there. And it's just so I that's my stock answer, and okay. it's the only one I feel <laughs> safe very giving. Fair. I've been giving it for a long time, but I you know I loved obviously as mayor, I love the food scene. Uh, in Oklahoma City. It's been really amazing to see that evolve uh, over the last 15 years. A big part of, I think, a, a great city is a great culinary culture. And so we talk a lot about art and sports and, and all the other things that entertain you. But we also have to have that food element, you know, and I Absolutely. think we certainly have it. Yeah, there's a ton of restaurants popping up all over the place. So it's really good to see a lot of new people coming into the area just for the food scene. So mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll go on to the next one. We wanted to ask, what's your most memorable thunder moment? Wow, you know, there's been so many. I mean, we're now in uh, the, I don't even remember, is it the 12th or the 13th season? But it's pretty deep into this thing, and there's so many, it's hard to remember. I mean, it, it would be um, impossible to top, obviously, uh, without going back and winning it. You know, the, the whole NBA Finals run, you know, I don't know that I have a specific play or shot, you know. But, um, you know, that's that's now, believe it or not, eight years ago. Um, and... Uh, but that was a, you know, such a moment for our city. And I know I have a high level of confidence we'll be back someday and hopefully, you know, mm. sooner rather than later. And uh, but that that's very special. I know that at the time, it's sort of bittersweet to look back on now because at the time we kind of thought that was the first of about four of those we were going to do in, in short succession. But, um, but, you know, remembering the way that this community um, embraced that team. I mean, we always loved this team, but that was, you know, people putting hardened beards on their buildings and you know i mean it was just uh, out of control in that time period and to have you know one of you know the world's greatest sporting events championship events being held in our city was was just beyond belief considering where we had come from so um you know that that still tops it but there's something that happens just darn every month that you know i love i'm a big sports fan and we've got an exciting team year in and year out and this year has been to some people's surprise no exception Oh, is this supposed to be rapid fire? Because I'm giving you like 10 minutes. That's all good. Well, you know, they're great rapid answers, so we'll <laughs> take it. <laughs> but with that, I'm going to go ahead and kick it over to Carter. And uh, Yeah, sure. Oh. So you talk about the Thunder quite a bit, and obviously we see the passion coming out of it, and we see posts coming out on social media. Mm-hmm. So I have to ask, you know, is Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, mm-hmm. which one do you prefer the most? 
Well, they're all very different. And uh, you, you, know, you guys are like, you know, communications professionals. So you know that I'm just a lay person, really. Um, I've, I'm self-taught, you know, but, um, you know, obviously Instagram is a visual medium. And so um, let me put it this way. If you follow me across all three mediums, you do not see exactly the same content. You may in some cases, but um, but a lot of times you will see different things because Instagram is about pictures, right? Mm-hmm. And and Twitter is probably the most different in the sense that to me, that's really where I deliver news. I, mm-hmm. you know, I try to not only deliver news on Twitter, but at the same time, sometimes that's just the way it is. Uh, it, it, what I say on Twitter just isn't, hasn't really have a picture to go with it, you sure. know? And yep. so, and so, um, so, you know, if, if like you're looking for, like to know what's really going on in the city, you should probably follow me on Twitter. If you're if you're just kind of like I want to kind of you know, it's kind of be a part of the mayor's life from time to time and kind of know what he's up to. Like that maybe you know, then you could probably suffice with Instagram. Facebook sort of uh, merges the two a little bit. Um, it's 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 a little of a mix of text and pictures, you know. And so, um, but you know, I enjoy them all um, as a as a user uh, more so than a poster. Probably Twitter. I mean, I like I get my news from Twitter. Twitter is what I'm going to open up um, just in the middle of the day, just to kind of like see what's going on in the world. Which kind of leads me to my next question. Also, it's you know from a professional standpoint or a personal standpoint. If we were to flip that, you know, who are you following? What kind mm-hmm. of content are you looking for? What keeps you engaged? Um, you know, I mean, I hope I, like most people. I guess I, I follow a lot of different kinds of things. You know, I'm following sports figures and sports news services and I'm following, you know, international news services and, and local news personalities and, and then just sort of a mix of local organizations or local, just random people who, you know, who are just happen to be, I mean, you know, this is a sad story, but I mean, as we speak this week, there was a gentleman that very few people really knew in real life who, um, tweeted, uh, it constantly through the years, uh, what was happening on the Oklahoma City Police Scanner, <laughs> a gentleman named Robert Moose. And and I never met him, um, but like thousands of, you know, maybe about four or 5,000 people in Oklahoma City, I followed him and he, and he was so like persistent with it. I mean, you know, some people are really active on social media, you know, and then they sort of disappear. Like it was sort of a fad for them. Well, he had never stopped and, and he was entertaining and funny and interesting. And, you know, it was just every few hours it'd be like, you know, a fight has broken out in the Taco Bell parking lot at what, you know, at Sheridan or whatever. And, and, and he passed away unexpectedly. And it was really interesting that happened to, you know, in the last few days. And we saw this sort of outpouring of, um, of, of condolences from people who just, thought of him as this guy that they followed. They somehow, you know, their paths had crossed on Twitter. And so they ended up following him and he was sort of this part of their life. And they didn't even really realize how much a part of, uh, you know, their daily life he was until he was gone. Um, and I mean, literally hundreds and hundreds of, of tweets I've seen on that in the little kind of OKC Twitter world of a few thousand people really that we're talking about. Um, but I just use that as an example when you're asking me who I follow. I mean, that's an example of somebody that, it's not, that's not a BBC no. news. That's not ESPN. You know, that, that is a, that is very much a construct of social media that one person, um, really just created a brand for himself where he was tweeting out, you know, basically, you know, real time police activity here at Oklahoma city. And that that was a thing that a lot of people found value in. I think that just goes to show the impact that it can have overall on anybody, whether mm-hmm. it's something to that story and to that effect, or if it's just something that you're trying to garner news from. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. It's very diverse. Mm-hmm. I mean, Twitter's a great, you know, 
fortunately, knock on wood, we don't have, you know, the, the level of earthquakes that we were having a few years ago. <laughs> but, but like, Twitter's great for that, right? You go there and you're like, did I just feel an earthquake? I'll check Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody will say something. Or you search to, I mean, this is a perfect example. When I hear a rumor that like a celebrity's in town or something, I'll go to Twitter and search the name. And sure enough, some totally random person will have seen that person talk, take a picture of them on the sidewalks of Bricktown and tweeted it. And like nobody saw it, you know, it's not real. This is not a person with a lot of followers. And it's like, it's hiding there on Twitter is this little gossip, you know, <laughs> and uh, you just got to know what to search to find it. But, you know, you can find out kind of sometimes what's going on in your city by by searching certain things and sort of figuring out what's happening in the nooks and crannies of OKC Twitter. I'm working on my personal brand in 2020, so maybe I'll be that one guy who just <laughs> has a little post, gets a lot of attention. You, yeah. you know, I think the secret is, right, just pick one thing and be good at that and yeah. be consistent with it and keep it up for like 10 years. Now, of what value that is, years. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> There's no real financial payoff, just so you know. But, you know, you can be a thing if you want to be on, tw on OKC Twitter. I'll keep so. my day job, but you know, maybe <laughs> do that on the side. So you have a lot of followers, obviously, and I'm curious on... It's all relative. <laughs> Russell Westbrook has six million. That's true. That's true. <laughs> How do you go about creating your content for your audience on social media? Do you have a process? Do you, do you just... I probably should have more of a process. You know? <laughs> I, so I'm the only one with the passwords. So a lot of, one, one thing I got asked about a lot is... Uh, because there's a, a presumption with uh, political figures or with celebrities, mm -hmm. not that with celebrity, but I just mean like people who seem to be in the public eye that there's like some, um, you know, staff member doing it for them. Because in many cases, that's the case. But in, in my instance, you know, I obviously I, I'm a normal person. So I started this uh, myself, you know, probably about 10 years ago on Facebook and Twitter and maybe about six years ago on Instagram. And, um, and nor did I have a staff, you know, I mean, now today, in theory, I do have folks who could help me with it, probably. And, and my, uh, I think, for example, I think my predecessor, his chief of staff was was largely the person who posted for him on Facebook. But um, I've always felt like it is it is presented as you, you know, and I wouldn't. Um, trust really anybody else to like put on a mask mm. of me and walk around town. So why would I, and, and not knowing what they're going to say while they pretend to be me. So why would I let them pretend to be me for, you know, tens of thousands of people? I mean, that scares me. So, you know, not that I don't trust my, my folks here, but you know, it's like, I gotta be me, you know, it's, when, when they speak, at least people understand that even though they represent me, they are still themselves. And, you know, if they said something really crazy, we can always try to put some distance between us. But <laughs> but when they are actually me, it's got to be me. And so I just have never felt comfortable with the idea of letting other people post for me. Um, and so it's always been me. And so to answer your question, what's my process? I mean, it's whatever I think, you know, um, um, you know, is what I need to say. Sometimes, I mean, probably 80% of the time it's event driven in the sense that um, I'm doing something and um, I want to share that. And maybe there's, maybe as I step back from the thing I'm doing, I can see that there's a bigger picture here and I want to express that as well, a little bit as well. You know, um, I don't think it's necessarily interesting to say here I am, um, you know, well, like, let's take today. So as we sit here today, I, I helped unveil a new name and logo for Chickasaw Community Bank. Well, um, you know, I mean, as I 
as I think what I want to say, I mean, it would be maybe not that interesting just to say, cut a ribbon on the new Chickasaw Community Bank, period, you know, or exclamation point. Um, what may be a little more interesting is just to step back and say, you know, really grateful for all the things that the Chickasaw Nation does, you know, kind of take that as an opportunity um, to say that, because when would I otherwise mm-hmm. say it? I'm not just going to just randomly wake up one morning and, and send out a tweet thanking the Chickasaw Nation, you know, I mean, there's it, it needs to have some hook, right? And so in this case, it was today's a good day to thank the Chickasaw Nation and then also mention I was at this at this bank opening. So, you know, I think that's, um, you know, I try to use opportunities to, to maybe say things that I would otherwise have wanted to say, but just didn't really have the opening. And then there, there are certainly days, though, where I just sort of say, you know, I got, especially on Twitter, it's like, you know, I want to share this thought today. And, and it doesn't really have maybe a, uh, an event-driven hook. Um, those are probably weekends or evenings, you know, when like I've actually got time to think. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't normally have time where I'm really during the day on a weekday where I'm just sitting around. Um, but if I am sitting around on a Sunday, that's probably where you're going to find these tweet threads about, um, you know, some some topic that may or may not be salient that particular day, but is important to our community. And I try to share some of those thoughts. Um, My breakfast at Jimmy's Egg was excellent. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And so actually I do I do do food posts occasionally <laughs> because because, it's, you know, obviously when it's a local restaurant, if I'm eating at a local restaurant, I always think this is. A missed opportunity if mm-hmm. I don't give them a plug, right? You know, right. so uh, so you'll see that as well. I mean, I, I suppose if somebody wanted to take a deep dive on my social media, they could kind of probably find five or six categories that everything <laughs> sort of falls into, you know. But um, and in my head, I sort of know because I've done it all myself. I sort of I don't have anything written, but I sort of have a a matrix, you know, in my own head of of knowing. Well, I haven't talked about that in a while, or. Or, you know, I just did that last week. I probably shouldn't say that again, you know. And so, you know, I'm kind of, it's a narrative in its own in its own organic way that I think I'm following. I think that's nice. fantastic because it makes you such a likable person, too, that it's mm-hmm. intuition. It's in real time. It's, mm-hmm. it's real to events. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, it's authentic, right? I mean, because it's just me and because I don't even, I don't even run it past anybody. I mean, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not necessarily suggesting this for everybody. <laughs> you control the passwords. <laughs> Obviously. So yes, it is you. Our listeners appreciate that. <laughs> From your that. guys' perspective, you're probably like, you know, you should really have a professional advisor on. <laughs> well, you shouldn't do that yourself. But uh, we can visit afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, for, I, I, yeah, I just, I just do it. I just feel like I've done it so long that. I know how not to get myself in trouble. <laughs> so with that being so personal to you, you know, mm-hmm. you're saying it's it's all about, you know, who you are. You know, sometimes you post, you know, polarizing issues just because you're a very public figure. So mm-hmm. how do you kind of deal with some of the, you know, negative reactions to those? Well, so, you know, in, it's, to answer that question, it's worth stepping back and saying, you know, I'm a person from a political philosophy perspective who... Um, you know, is always trying to find outcomes that are, uh, have as broad a consensus as possible. And I, and I sincerely believe that if people are talking to each other, empathizing with each other, finding common purpose, not looking for exactly what they want, um, that there are outcomes that 70 to 80% of people would, would support and no better manifestation of that, um, in recent history exists than maps Four, where we, where we went through a, a, a really guided a year long process and came out with an outcome that got 72%, the highest percentage of any sales tax, you know, in our, in our city's modern history. Um, and that's possible. I believe in any political discussion, if you just do the work and sit down and talk to each other and, and, you know, throughout that process, people would say, 
um, you know, I don't know, this package isn't perfect, you know? And I'm always like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like if you thought it was perfect, that would mean that somebody else in this city thinks it's awful. And I want everybody to think it's pretty good, but not perfect. That yep. means that's perfection to me. You know, that means that we've compromised. It's all a compromise, yeah. <laughs> and um, so I say all that to say that you're not going to see me take, you know, tweet stuff that's that's like going to peel the paint off the walls and make you angry because that's not who I am. You know, I mean, like that's that I'm going to be taking positions that I think bridge, you know, those gaps and, and are compromise compromising. And um, and so, you know, that's how I navigate those difficult waters. And I find that, you know, of course, social media brings us all together. Right. So, of course, there are extremists at the and if you think of it as a spectrum at the left and the right, um, who even though I've taken a position that by any objective standard is is moderated and reasonable and thoughtful and is trying to take the best elements of, of all sides, they see it as some radical, you know, ridiculous position, you know, and, and you just, with those folks, you just kind of calmly and matter of fact of matter of factly address them. Um, and I always kind of think that those who read those exchanges um, that I, that I win, <laughs> you know, I mean, like I, I know that like, I just, I just know how it reads and I'm just like, clearly, this person is is coming off poorly and I'm coming off correctly because I am, you know, handling it calmly. Um, I've had people all the time say, I just love reading your replies. I just love <laughs> and I just love reading the Facebook comments and the crazy stuff people say and how you just, you know, you just calmly address it with facts, you know, and that's that's that's, that's, right. that's, that's a pretty <laughs> impressive. It's a great skill to have to be able to calmly and then it brings a, a good tone for the conversation. But speaking of Maps 4, uh -huh. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm a huge fan of Maps 4, especially well, thank being you. up here and all the maps. And I'm excited for the future maps. So <laughs> yeah. right. Um, from a communication perspective, what are some of the important points to get across during like a Maps 4 campaign? Mm -hmm. I just want to hear a little bit about that. And you kind of mentioned some stuff, but I just want to. Well, you know, like so like a Maps 4 is a billion dollar initiative. You could talk for six hours straight about everything in it. You know, it, it, the, the, the levels to it um, just go on and on and on. You don't get those opportunities, though. Rarely, anyways, you know. Um, there were a handful of times in the course of this where I maybe got to speak for 45 minutes to an hour, you know, but um, the reality is you're going to communicate in, you know, 140 characters or in 30 second ads and you had to boil it down. And, um, you know, for us in Maps 4, the, the boiled down distilled message was look at what Maps has done, you know, for the last 25 years. That right there might win over most people without even knowing what's in Maps 4. And then the next level is, okay, if that hasn't, if I haven't already won you just looking at the track record <laughs> and you actually do care what's in maps four, then I want you to know that it is, um, you know, that it's about neighborhoods, it's about human needs, it's about quality of life, and it's about jobs that all of the 16 projects fell into one or more of those four buckets, you know. Um, and this wasn't, a, you know, this is important to different segments of the community, but probably the third thing I needed you to know um, that we could fit into kind of a, a, you know, a short message would be that it's not a tax increase. That's, you know, that, that, that matters a lot to some people and not at all to others, but, um, but it matters enough to enough people that that was always something we needed to say that your, your sales tax rate would be the same with their, you know, with, with maps as it is today. 
And, um, and so with that, you know, that's probably the message, you know, if you had 10 more seconds, you might say there's a citizen advisory board that governs that people always found that, you know, helpful information. Um, you really rarely had the time to go in all 16 projects. Now, again, social media gave me a platform to, to certainly go into a pretty high level of depth, um, over the course of, you know, six and nine months over the development of it. I mean, if you went back to all my Facebook posts and tweets and things, you would see where I talk about all of the projects in some level of detail at some point along the way. Um, but you know, you just, you just rarely get those opportunities. And you also know that, you know, not everybody wants to participate, you know, to that extent. I mean, what, one of the m most frustrating things through the course of the campaign in the final two months was when people would say, well, why didn't we even get a say in what was in this thing? You know, like when did, when were we asked when, what was, should be in maps for? And I was thinking that was all I did this entire year, you know, like nonstop, <laughs> like to the point of you should be annoyed at how much we had asked you to participate in this process. And you know, but that's, that's, that's modern life. Wow. Well, is there a MAPS 4.5 or 5 that's coming? <laughs> well, I'm way too ahead of myself right you now. Are, you so are. This is an eight-year tax. It didn't start even until April 1st. So, right. so no, that, that's probably somebody else's problem. But uh, <laughs> we're, this, this sets us up for, for another decade of progress yeah. in Oklahoma City. I'm, I'm very impressed with it. I mean, some yeah. people pay, would be willing to pay more for more stuff. But I know some people don't. But, <laughs> right, uh, right. So you find that sweet spot. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's people who think that's wanted this desperately wanted the sales tax to drop by a penny. And there's people who probably said, I'd pay 11 cents to build even more things, you yeah. know? And so <laughs> again, it's a compromise. You find the middle ground that seems most acceptable. We had the conversation about a dime tax before we came over here. So <laughs> yeah, I paid dime for everything. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> and so with, you know, you being in the political sphere for quite a while, how has maps changed how you communicated with like under Mick Cornette versus how you communicate it now. Well, what do you, what do you think? What do you mean by that exactly? How do you, what do you think is Well, I mean, times just evolved. You know, we have different social media platforms now. We have different avenues. Yeah. People are seeing a lot more. They're accessible to more information. So do the styles change or is it basically just still driving the message home in the same way? Uh, I guess a lot of the messaging is probably the same. I mean, obviously the mediums are different. What's interesting in, in electoral politics of late is unfortunately voting rates are significantly, significantly declining, but those who are still engaged expect an even more higher level of transparency. And so, you know, it's like I feel like I'm, I'm sharing more than was probably shared in the past as far as the level of detail, but I'm, unfortunately I feel like I'm sharing it with fewer people. You know, there's just fewer people interested or, or they're interested but just sort of satisfied. You know, I mean... It, Low voter turnout, especially on a tax election, is usually means that those who didn't vote are, are happy. You know, they're like, yeah, that sounds good to me. And so they <laughs> yep. just don't vote. You know, and if we, we kind of think on Maps 4, for example, that every no vote voted, you know, <laughs> and that tens of thousands of yes votes didn't, you know, because they're just they're just not angry about it. And anger is what tends to drive you. So. Um, so anyways, but no, I mean, I, I think we definitely. um had a way higher level of engagement and detail um, in this process than we'd had with previous maps. And I could almost objectively prove that to you. Like, for example, if you pull up the maps three resolution that the council adopted in 2009, it's half a page. And the maps four resolution is 10 pages, you know? And so, um, and we'd never had the, the council meetings like we did this time. In the past, you know, we just sort of said, 
here's maps. You get a vote, like that's an, that's your in that's your interaction. You know, you get to vote on it. So, but here it is, and in in this case, you know, we had 26 hours of council meetings just to talk about what should be in it before we would even take it to a vote. I think that all of that process and all of that engagement is partly why it got so many votes in that, you know, and why it was the, the biggest percentage ever was partly because you created it. So you better like it. You know, I mean, I feel like this was the maps the people created. So it would be odd if they'd voted against it, you know. So all that you were really left with, it seemed like in the end, um, were no voters who, um, you know, just don't like anything, right? It doesn't matter whether they were involved in the conversation or not. They're just against taxes. They're against government, you know. Uh, and And we always... We always sort of get into our cocoons, you know, in between these elections. I mean, one of the, the common refrains throughout the MAPS 4 process or the campaign process that I would hear would people say, well, who could be against this? You know, and I'd say, well, you're about to find out, right? Like, you go onto my Facebook page. Check the comments. <laughs> Read the comments. And it, but it wasn't, in this case, it wasn't usually any real, because we had, because we as a community had talked through it so, uh, so in depth. Like every one of the legitimate concerns had been addressed in advance. Well, all that was left was basically, I hate everything, was, was all that was left as a counterpoint. You know, I just don't like government. I don't trust City Hall. I don't trust politicians. I don't like paying taxes, you know. And that's why you really can't do better than 72%, because there's always about a quarter of people who feel, or voters who feel that way. And, um, but, but we certainly maxed out, I think we got you know, about as best as you can possibly get. And, you know, these things had passed it before with 54%, 53%, and 60% when it was for schools. And so to get 72, you know, was a pretty big, uh, pretty big jump. But again, I think a lot of that was based on the process and the messaging throughout, which was, to your question, pretty different, I guess, than maybe previous maps in that it was just more in-depth and more detailed and more sort of in a, a daily um, commentary that was happening with the voters because of social media. Let's talk a little bit about Tulsa down the street mm-hmm. and uh, Mayor G.T. Bynum. You know, how do you see that relationship between you and him? Do you see similar leadership styles? I think from a uh, digital presence or social media presence, we see a lot of similarities in that nature. Can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, you know, so we've known each other for 20 years and we're friends and, and we are eerily similar in some ways, you know, about the same age. We're both Married, uh, you know, brunette attorneys were, you know, we both have uh, two children, a, a boy and a girl. I mean, like, it's, it's kind of weird, but I don't wear glasses is, you know, maybe the main difference. But uh, you have to separate <laughs> yourself a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so we just, yeah, I mean, we kind of watched each other's political careers and it was kind of fun when we were both elected mayors of our, of our respective cities in, in rapid succession and have tried to just set a different tone. I mean, it, it's. To this point, you know, we're not signing trade agreements or anything. I mean, it's more superficial than it is substantive, but it but it's been, you know, pretty important, we think, for our two cities to to set that tone of um of of alignment and, and partnership. Um, you know, because historically a lot of times in our state it's been really there's especially when you look at state capital politics, it's like there's three Factions, you know, there's Oklahoma City, Tulsa, and everybody else, and there, everybody else has always been very aligned, whether they live in Gaiman or Broken Bow, and and we have not, you know, and we need to be because we actually are very similar in many, in so many ways, and face many of the same challenges, and so, um, you know, I think things happened over the last um, twenty years that, um, you know. Uh, 
kind of put each of us in a, in a path that we're comfortable with and we're finally sort of not a rival, you know, I mean, we're, um, I just think we're comfortable in our own skin. They're not necessarily, I think for a long time they were wanted to be, you know, the economic, cultural, sports, everything capital of Oklahoma. And, you know, things happen over the last 20 years in terms of population growth and economic growth and, and the thunder and all that, you know, to where, you know, we're the big city. Um, but they, in realizing that, which was painful, I think they found who they wanted to be and who they are. And there's no question they have incredible cultural strengths. Um, and I think they're maximizing that now. And that's kind of what they're chasing. And now that they have a goal that's a little different than our goal, we, we are seem to work better together, you know, instead of this, it was always just, which the better city, you know, and, and. <laughs> And, uh, and because we were pretty close in population for a long time and, and so many other things, it just seemed like that was more of a debate. Now it's like, we're different cities. We're clearly bigger. We're clearly have a bigger economy. Um, but they have, again, they have these like cultural things that we don't have and, and, and we're okay with that. And they're okay that we're bigger, at least I think, you know? And so it just seems like we found our place. And so the moment was right for GT and I to, um, to, to, move into that new era. Not that I don't, th I mean, I think Oklahoma city mayors and Tulsa mayors have worked great together, but not necessarily so publicly. I mean, we've really made it a point of emphasis to really talk about that and people seem to appreciate it. And hopefully, yeah, continue. It starts to evolve into more substantive things and, and we find ways to, to really do work together. And maybe, maybe that bleeds into beyond just the mayor's offices into our business leadership and our legislative representation so that we're more aligned and working together if we were one city, we would be as big as, you know, um, I don't know, a much larger metro. I should have, I, I don't have any, I didn't do research in advance <laughs> to give you that number. But. We won't fact check <laughs> you. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're, we're pretty excited about that partnership with Tulsa. Yeah. I mean, I, we love going up there. The Gathering Place is such a cool space. But um, I have a question for tourism here yeah. in Oklahoma City. To promote tourism here in Oklahoma City, what projects are you the most excited about? Or is there anything that you want to? share with us. You mean like yeah, when you say projects, are you things that are coming that we don't have today? Correct. Yeah. I mean, there, well, there are two massive things coming. Uh, I should, well, three really, when you talk about tourism, um, in the next year, we will open the new convention center, uh, which of course you were involved in the, oh, yeah. the oh, yeah. logo and the all branding. that. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> we've got the new convention center. We have the first Americans museum, uh, and we have Oklahoma contemporary, and, um, I mean, all in those, I just described, um, about the four, like five, over half a billion dollars wow. worth, of, <laughs> <laughs> worth of investments in those three things, wow. you know? And so, you know, I think contemporary is unique and an awesome facility. I think that's going to be a new look for us. I mean, you know, modern Art is not necessarily what people associate with Oklahoma City, so it's good to, to, to have a new um, sort of perspective that that brings. And then the convention center is just, it's about building facilities. You know, you gotta have places for people to be if you're gonna have all these other amenities that are attractive to conventioneers. You gotta have a convention right. center for them, you know? And so we're providing that. And then the First Americans Museum, I mean, that's a that's a potential global draw that I don't, it's taken literally like 30 years. So I think people have forgotten to be excited, but, um, you know, that's a massive facility um, that 
is is building on one of our most unique strengths, our our, our native culture, and um, that's what you're supposed to do for for you know for visit visitors want to see unique things. You know, they're not coming here to eat at PF Chang's. You know, they're coming here. <laughs> Rococo. <to, Yeah. laughs> they're coming here to eat at Rococo. Yeah. They're coming here. <laughs> To, to experience, in this case, our native culture is something they can't experience in the same way anywhere else. Um, and this is providing a, um, you know, a Smithsonian-level institution. Um, so I'm very bullish on our visitor economy as all these things start to come together. And then you look at just some recent things like Scissor Tail Park and some other, uh, you know, streetcar and all that other, that's all helping as well. We love all that, by the way. Mm-hmm. Me and my yeah. kids get on the, the streetcar, we're going to yeah. Tail Park. Man, it's amazing. Yeah. Following I, your kid up the uh, slide and slide. that thing that's in Tail Park is kind of tough, but yes. it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of um, art, it made me think of film. So uh, we've seen you at the Thunder, you know, with Jesse Eisenberg. Mm-hmm. And sure, some like film you people. do. Yeah. Is, can you tell me a little bit more about the film, what you guys are doing for a film for Oklahoma City or... Well, um, a lot of what has helped has been at the state level. And so certainly give credit to the legislature for continuing to expand the film tax credit. That's been a big, mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, a really big good. part of why you've seen the film industry here growing. But, you know, obviously we um, and then it takes Oklahoma Film Office, again, a state agency mm-hmm. to really market that and, and work with um, production companies to do work here. Um, but here at the city level, um, you know, obviously we want to, we want to do everything we can. And I, as just a, as a mayor, you know, sometimes my role is, is just to be a tool in the, in the, in the toolkit, you know, to go out and, and meet people and, and pitch us and be visible and, um, and, and welcome people to Oklahoma city. And I certainly try to do that, but, um, but yeah, we've certainly enjoyed, uh, really statewide, you know, a, a, a noticeable surge um, and film productions, you know, when that time period you're talking about when, um, you know, Jesse and I went to the game, I mean, Matt Damon was actually supposed to be at that game too. And he canceled at the last <laughs> minute, but, uh, you know, th- that's like how ridiculous it was that week. You just, and those weren't even the same movies, you know, I mean, you just had so much going on and now you're going to have, I wish you were down here, but now you're going to have up in Osage County, you know, this, uh, you know, uh, killers of the flower mm-hmm. moon shooting oh, and, and all that. So, um, but there just seems to be just a constant churn of stuff and it's not all obviously, you know, on that level, uh, but it, but it keeps people employed. And so it's fun to see, you know, that, that people can really have a career in film production and live here because they're just moving from production, one mm-hmm. production to the next. Sure. Well, before Jake closes this out, mm-hmm. 2020 vision, can you give us the cliff notes of what to expect coming out of your office this year? Well, so, you know, uh, my state of the city is at the end of February. Um, and I really look at that um, when we have a real tradition here, by the way, in Oklahoma City, I mean, you get we get 1500 people to come to the state of the city. That's pretty, pretty awesome. You know, when you look around the country. And, and so I always look at that as a real captive audience that I want to sure. that I want to deliver a, a very thoughtful and prepared message to. I mean, this is an opportunity um, to talk about what I'm going to do this year. And so I'm kind of in that as we sit here as mid January. And so I'm sort of in the thought process that precedes the writing process because the writing, I can't just sit down today and write the speech because I don't, I don't necessarily know that I formulated what's next. And you should also, you know, for me, this all falls into this progression where I was running for mayor for like a year. And then, you know, I was the new mayor for a few months, which is, you know, pretty hectic. And then almost immediately, you know, I had to go into this MAPS 4 process. I knew that was so make or break for our community and for me personally. You know, that was, 
if maps had failed, I would, to me, I f- would have felt like a, a British prime minister, you know, I would need to resign or something, you know, I mean, you would have just, gone dark <laughs> on social media. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was like, I can't, uh, why should I, why should I be the mayor if I can't pass maps? That's what mayors in Oklahoma city do, you know? And, and so fortunately we did pass maps and, but it was so all consuming. It's definitely like my life is before maps and after maps, you know? And so right now we're still in that sort of, uh, even though it's been a month to, to the rest of you, you know, there's a lot of cleanup and a lot of things. And it was the holidays and all that. So, you know, kind of feels like yesterday to me. And I'm still sort of sorting through what 2020 holds and what, you know, the rest of my time as mayor holds. You know, there's there's a million things that I want to accomplish. Um, but, you know, so much of my time and energy was tied up in MAPS 4 for the last 18 months that um, I'm kind of now in that assessment period. And you'll see the results of that, and at the end of February when I give my State of the Union, uh, State of the City address. But um, but I think what I would say, because I've already previewed this in other places, is um, certainly to me when I ran for office, I talked about four things: core services, which we are always working on, and seventeen was a big vote on that before I took office, where we put eight hundred million dollars into street repairs and, and secured the funding for one hundred and twenty more police officers. So core services, quality of life, which is really maps. And so, you know, check, like we, you know, we have a lot to do to make it happen, but the big political part of it is now behind us. Um, and diversity and incorporating it into our decision-making process. And there's no, there's no like one day where that all happens. That's a, that's an everyday kind of thing throughout the time I serve. And the fourth thing though, that I talked about, and you haven't really gotten to see that play out yet has been education. So I always said, you know, I think the mayor can serve a, a unique role in convening you know, the, the education leadership, the city leadership, the philanthropic leadership and the business leadership around a table to literally to, you know, to create a unified vision for public education moving forward in Oklahoma City, a process that we did in this city 20 years ago that really led up to Maps for Kids. And it's time we're long overdue for that process. And so what I've been saying for a while now is let let me get past Maps. And to me, 2020 is the time for that conversation. So I'll, I've I can, that's one preview I can give you, I think, of the State of the City address is that I will, I will sort of launch that, um, that, that visioning process, for lack of a better phrase. I mean, it really is, the first step is making a plan. I'm not going to be telling you what I think needs to change in public education in that speech. I'm going to be telling you how we're going to work together as a community to figure out what needs to change so that we have a public education system in Oklahoma City that meets your expectations. As a mayor, I hate to see young families continue to feel like they got to live in the suburbs or go to private school. You know, I want, I want there to be a sense that, that your needs are met here in Oklahoma city. And, and because we've sort of divorced um, city and school government in our system here in Oklahoma, somebody's got to bridge those gaps and get us on the same page. And again, I think American uniquely play that role. Absolutely. Unified front. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Collective action. Collective action. <laughs> yeah, collective action. Yes. Well, I think that is all the time that we have. Meryl, thank you so much for joining us thank today. You. And Absolutely. thanks, everybody, for listening to the RFP. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoyed our first episode of the RFP. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to our channel. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media and let us know who you'd like to hear from on the RFP.